0: Hello
1: basketball fans and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran Dave Decker. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast
0: MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckert. I'm actually in Vegas, so I am out here for the Aces game, um, the WNBA Finals. Uh, So we are recording this live from Vegas, well, I'm live from Vegas, Dave's live from his house
1: my bunker (laughs) yes
0: but here we are here we are we've got some stuff to talk about uh dave how are you
1: i am doing okay but at the moment i am surrounded by cats uh i have not been home all day so i came home to record Uh, I've got a cat on my left on a chair, turning upside down and looking at me with goo goo eyes. I've got a cat on the right on my soundboard, uh, actually enjoying the warmth and hoping I will pet him. So, uh, we are, you know, we're a quartet today, I guess, instead of just a duo. I
0: feel like that some days when I'm working at home with my children, Yes, I've got, children everywhere always my my kids are very and I thought this was all kids but I've recently been informed that it is just mine or it's not all kids at least but I have very very affectionate children and if I sit down they sit down as close as possible if not on top of me um, so anytime I'm at home and they're at home and I sit down to do any type of work I've got at least two kids hanging off of me so I I feel you with the the cat situation. It's a little different, but similar.
1: My kids are actually still like that. It's funny because we have a sectional couch in the basement. And my kids are like 14 and 11. So they're teen and tween, you know, uh, and supposed to be off doing their own thing which they do sometimes but often I will sit on the couch and then my son will lean against me and play his switch and then my daughter is less touchy but she will get right by my feet or by my knees and she will be like a quarter inch away just not touching but very close and then like we will be a little family unit down there and then of course the cats all come and fill in the gaps in between so like there are every living creature in the house is in the same like three foot radius and it's like oh family.
0: Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm that way as an adult. I'm very. In fact, there was kind of a running joke when I was growing up because my parents are not. My parents are not touchy feely people, and I am just. I mean, I was the kid that I would walk out of a room, and the last thing I'd say is, "I love you," just in case. Um, and you know, I'm. I'm. I would hold their hands and hug on them and whatever. And I'm still like that as an adult, even with you know with people I'm close to, with, my friends. Um, and family I'm very I'm always there has to be contact I, I need that you know the, the love languages thing physical touch is definitely high up there for me and apparently your cats
1: yeah I mean I'm upset that the NBA took that away from perimeter defense you know the hand checking and bodying up on guards I mean it must be a much lonelier place now that, with the new rules
0: I mean, every now and then you get them hugging each other as they're trying to get the ball, but it's, uh,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, or after the game, see, they have to make it, everybody's like, oh, this new generation, they're all friendly. And that's because they can't express their physical affection on the court anymore. (laughs) So after the game, they have to hug and buddy, buddy and go get wine and all that stuff, you know.
0: Speaking of which, the the new generation. Have you seen the the new documentary that's going to be released on Netflix shortly about um, the Redeem Team Olympic team?
1: I have not.
0: There, they just I I just saw the trailer today. I, there's been a couple outlets that have posted it, but um, there's going to be a Netflix documentary coming in October about the Redeem Team, and it looks really cool. I'm I I love those documentaries, those basketball documentaries. There's a couple. Do you have Netflix? I do. There's a few right now. The Untold series that has. There's one about the, the gambling refs. There's one about the um, and one the basketball brand. Some mm-hmm. really good stuff on there right now. Some really good basketball documentaries on on Netflix right now.
1: Well, that Redeem Team is the one that recaptured the gold medal, right? And right. okay. People don't remember the level of angst that went with that when the U.S. did not win the gold. Now, I I watched it, and it is true, I think, in general, that the U.S. style of play, the the Olympics, they didn't win it, was not optimal, okay? There was not a lot of ball sharing, there was was just a lot of presumption going on, and not a lot of fantastic basketball. I don't think that they were, I, I think they were still clearly the most talented team. It just didn't work out that they won it, but the thing was, afterwards, it soured so badly, and so quickly afterwards. All the stuff, and some of it, I think, was borderline racist, some of it was borderline culturally insensitive, about everybody's laundry list of how You know, NBA basketball is terrible and NBA, you know, players are selfish and all this stuff. And I I remember feeling worse about that reaction than I did actually about the team playing in, you know, whatever that semifinal game that they lost. Uh, I, I, i there's, it's always been kind of a little bit uncomfortable for me. That's the story that's surrounding that redeem team. Uh, although I do admire that they came back and won it and all that. Like, I think there's more to uncover there in that story. And I wonder if the documentary will go into that at all.
0: Yeah. I, I, I'm curious to see, you know, it's interesting when you start getting into global basketball um, and seeing some of the culture behind that. And and I've, I've experienced that on some level working with FIBA because you're, you know, you're dealing in, and last summer I was in the bubble situation where it was two weeks of shooting different countries, playing, you know, in this tournament. And it really is interesting, the pressure that is on Team USA. You know, they, they're just expected to win. Um, and I think a lot of times they expect themselves to win as well. And so when they don't, it is, it is something. So,
1: Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I think the difference for me is okay. Like when a normal team loses, you say either they had the wrong approach or they weren't familiar with each other or whatever. Uh, but it's localized to that team. Like this team, I'm always uncomfortable when the whole culture comes into question because of certain events, you know? And I think that's, that's part of, of, of the texture and the story that people have told. And it, it makes me increasingly uncomfortable. You know, oh, this one game they lost, and therefore this exposes the problems of all of American professional basketball, and the whole thing gets painted with the same brush because everybody's the same, of course, and blah blah blah. And it's like uh, the the implications of that are are, are awful. And I, I I mentioned this because I was in a different place. I was visiting a place in California, and they were talking to me about basketball, and some people weren't very much basketball fans, and some of those old saws still came up about why they didn't like the NBA, and it's just, it's too selfish, and they make too much money, and la 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 la. And it's like, oh, I don't like those they. I don't like those they reasons. Uh, And I don't know. It's just, for some reason, that's been on my mind. I think it's, it's good before we enter another season to re-examine our presumptions and re-examine some of the stories we tell about the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, I think this is part of why, even though there are some things that aren't my favorite about it, I really like the the shift in the control that players have now over their own narratives and their own stories. And, and it's not a perfect system. I mean, there are definitely things about it that um, I don't love, but I like the fact that we're, you know, people have their own voices in in the culture that we live in right now. It's really hard to completely silence someone and not allow them to tell their own side of things, it, because because they have their own platform to do that. They don't need anybody else to tell their story. And and while there are definitely problems with that at times, and we've talked about some of that here on the podcast. Overall, it, it's a it's a really good tool for for those players to control their own narratives and have their own voices and not just have to be clumped in with somebody's idea of what's happening or some or or one person's narrative it's it it, there's some benefit there
1: to hear from the players instead of just about the players is wonderful and you know we brought this up a couple weeks ago with henry abbott i think the uh the difficulty comes when the established media fulfills that role without disclosing you know what i mean like okay well this media person is just a mouthpiece for that player unfiltered or whatever i prefer it i think it should work in parallel i mean there's value to talking about and there's value to hearing from and we should have both and one one of the things that's a common strain through them is asking who who has the power because If things are left unchecked or unexamined, the story will always go the way of the person with power. I am glad that players have way more power than they used to in this vein. That is absolutely needed to balance it. Um, That does not replace just simply giving the players power to tell their own stories. And that's the only story that's told does not that's no better than letting a media person or an owner or whatever. And I think, for instance, with this Robert Sarver thing, we are seeing the value in some independent storytelling away from power and some independent power to examine uh, and evaluate that does not come straight from the person who is most centrally involved in it.
0: Yeah. And I guess that brings us into, into that situation. Um, you know, this is anytime something isn't a blazers issue, I, I, we usually, if it's a big deal, we talk about it here anyway, if it's NBA related. Um, but I, I think especially because of conversations we've previously had on this podcast, this is once again, something that is worth talking about. Um, uh, so, if you are not following along with what's going on, um, Sun's owner, Robert Sarver, was under investigation after some allegations came out about misconduct, basically. Um, and he's been undergoing this this investigation for, I believe, I think it said 18 months. So it, it's been quite a long investigation. And today, um, the NBA released a statement, um, I was going to try to find that, I, I had... The follow up to it here. But um, the NBA. I have
1: it if you need it.
0: Okay, you want to go ahead and read
1: it? It says Following the publication of a November 4th, 2021, ESPN.com article regarding statements and conduct of Robert Sarver of the Phoenix Suns and Mercury uh, and issues relating to the team's workplace, the NBA commissioned an independent investigation. The report, which was issued publicly today, was based on information gathered from interviews with 320 individuals, including current former employees who worked for the team during Sarver's 18-year tenure, uh, and Mr. Sarver and other related individuals, and 80,000 documents, text messages, and videos. Uh, As stated in the report, the independent investigation found that Mr. Sarver, quote, engaged in conduct that clearly violated common workplace standards as reflected in team and league rules and policies. This conduct included the use of racially insensitive language, unequal treatment of female employees, sex related statements and conduct and harsh treatment of employees that on occasion constituted bullying and the key findings on at least five occasions. He repeated the N word while recounting statements of others. I engage of instances of inequitable conduct toward female employees made many sex related conduct comments in the workplace, inappropriate comments about the physical appearance of female employees and other women. And on several occasions engaged in inappropriate physical conduct toward male employees and engaged in demeaning and harsh treatment of employees, including yelling and cursing at them. And, uh, you know, basically, it goes on to describe uh, yeah. the consequences, which is he is uh, fined, I believe it was uh, 10 million, yep, yeah, and Definitely, must yeah. complete a training program fo- focused on respect and appropriate conduct in the workplace, and is suspended for a period of one year, where he cannot be present at any team facility in the NBA or WNBA or any game or represent the franchises in any capacity.
0: Yeah, so it, it's, uh, I don't even, I'm trying to decide where to start here. Um, the, it, there's, there's more details that have come out about the specifics of it. Um, I, frankly, I don't even want to get into it because I think it's triggering and I think it's stuff that nobody should have to hear. Um, if you're interested in the details of it, Ben Golliver. Uh, has posted a bunch of it on, on his Twitter account. You can go on there and read some of the details if, if that's something you're interested in. But at the end of the day, when you read through the things that were shown, uh, it's disturbing. It's disturbing that he was able to... It, it's just it, it's just wild to me. It's wild to me that somebody can behave this way. Um, and <clears throat> it's not just against women. There were, there were incidences with men where there were is sexually inappropriate things that were said and done, um, with men as well. And, and it just, the whole thing is just wild. The thing I think that is the most wild about it is that this is it. That's the only consequence a year from now and $10 million later, which for this guy is doable. It's feasible. It's not going to affect his day to day life. Um, he, can go back to where he was at and continue being a part of this team and, and in in ownership, which is a, a very high, powerful position. Um, and Woj tweeted something that I think is worth noting. and It said, while the NBA says Robert Starver cooperated fully with the investigative process, sources tell me that the Sun's owner was unaccepting of the idea he deserved a one-year suspension and $10 million fine for his behavior. The punitive part of the process became largely acrimonious." Now, here's the thing to me. I, a thousand percent, stand behind the fact that people can change. People learn and they grow and they do better. And, And I think that that's an important part of human existence and I think that that's an important thing to not, you know, this cancel culture that everybody gets. I-, I have no problem with consequences. When you do something that hurts someone or impacts someone, you absolutely have to deal with the con- consequences of that. You have to. That Sometimes there are natural consequences that happen naturally as a result of your actions. Other times there are things like this where you are given a consequence because of what you did. Um, so I believe that that is important. It's important to face consequence for what you do. Um, I also think that two things can be true. It can be true that it's important to face consequences. It's important to have, you know, um, uh, a, pun- a punishment is the wrong word here, but mm-hmm. it's important for there to be consequences. Um, and There and needs to be a
1: response, if I can interrupt you. Yeah, there needs to yeah. be an official response, not so... Robert Sarver or the perpetrator can necessarily learn something. But so the victims understand that they are supported and that the actions that violate them have been understood, respected, heard and reacted to.
0: Right. And and so that's important. And that's where this cancel thing comes in. Sometimes that means that a person is no longer able to do the job that they were doing sometimes that means that their career is changed sometimes those consequences are dramatic and drastic now on the flip side of that i am a firm believer that people can change people can learn they can they can bring on new information and they can be better i am not who i was five years ago, 10 years ago. I am a dramatically different person. My views on social justice have have changed as I have learned, as I have experienced things, as I have watched people I care about experience things, as I have been more aware of what's going on around me. I am a better person now than I was five years ago, than I was 10 years ago. And I believe that people can change. I believe that wholeheartedly. However, change has to start with acknowledgement you have to acknowledge that there is an issue, you have to acknowledge that that you did something wrong, that you, you know, and that you need to make that change. And for for Woj to be tweeting that 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 Robert Sarver was unaccepting of the idea that he deserved a one year suspension and a $10 million fine for his behavior tells me that this is not a man in a place of change. Um, and not only that, but these are things that have taken place during his tenure as the owner of the Suns. This is not something that somebody's dredging up from his past and trying to hold against him. This is something that has happened as he has been a powerful man in a place of, of authority with this team. And so how, how on earth do you allow somebody to behave that way? How on earth do you allow somebody to treat human beings this way, to say derogatory, sexually explicit, inappropriate things to people of color, to women, and 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 also people who weren't people of color and women? And how how do you allow somebody to treat human beings this way and essentially get off with a slap on the hand and continue to be in this position? This is unacceptable to me. I will continue to say over and over and over and over, as long as these things continue to happen within the league, the league has got to have some sort of consistency. They have to have some sort of policies and procedures in place to deal with this stuff so that there's consistency and why on earth is there not a zero tolerance policy when it comes to this type of behavior?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are a couple broad strains of thought there. Uh, one, uh, yes, we can look at it morally and personally, and that's absolutely valid, but we can also look at it systemically. In other words, asking how and why was Mr. Sarver able to do these things? And the answer is, and, and get away with them, I should say. And the answer is literally because he was the owner. If he were stocking the vending machines in the Sun's facility and had done this yeah. stuff, someone would have kicked his butt, right? Someone would have punched him, fired him, yeah. thrown him out. It's literally the power. People as
0: have been fired for lesser things.
1: Yeah. It's literally the power as owner that enabled these things. Now, if that is true, it's like someone who has a big baseball bat and goes around hitting people over the head with it. Okay, first of all, that's wrong. That's morally wrong. This person needs to learn not to do it. But second of all, we're going to take away the baseball bat. And you don't get to carry baseball bats for a little while at least or probably a long while. Uh, It's going to be a long time before you get the privilege of, of holding a bat again if that's what you're doing with it. This ownership, this was direct, as you say, directly related to his ownership, and therefore the appropriate consequence is he doesn't get the power to do that again for a long time. Now, what a long time is depends on your view, uh, but this also brings up the second thing, is that the, the, the NBA, unfortunately, I think, is in that terrible gray area where they're walking a tightrope of who works for whom. Because what is the NBA? Is it the players? I mean, yes, but they're kind of, and forgive me, from the systemic point of view, from the NBA's point of view, the basketball and the players are a little bit the product. You know what I mean? They're what's being sold. From the point of the NBA hierarchy view, well, there's the commissioner and the NBA office, and there's the owners, And somewhere among both of them or in between them is really the authority in the league, right? And who has that has always been an open question. Does the commissioner have power over the owners or does the commissioner work for the owners? And it's kind of both. So, you know, systemically, it is likely that... They will tread very lightly when disciplining or dealing with owners because what, you know, what is true of one owner may be true of many. And owners in general, or what do we call them now, governors now in general, don't like their authority messed with too much. And so there is a limit to what will be allowed. Now, Donald Sterling obviously uh, fell afoul of that. But that was a little different time uh, and also a little different situation. Uh, I think Sarver is in a different point in his ownership track, uh, you know, his his tenure. Uh, And also, I think this one might hit a little closer to home for certain people uh, and who might be wondering, well, where's the line? You know, where does it stop if we start doing this? And owners certainly don't want to be able to be ousted from their positions uh, for any abstract thing that they don't agree to. And so this is why I think that the league will probably end up on the lighter side of consequences in most of these things.
0: It's just freaking exhausting. Like, it, And, and I, I hate having these conversations because I, I like when this podcast is fun. I like when it's light. I hate having these conversations. But it's it, it, they're so important because if we don't have these conversations, if we just say, oh, well, that sucks and move on, then, then change doesn't happen. And I'm not saying that like us having a conversation on this podcast is going to change what happened in this case. But I am saying that like it's important to have these conversations. But I am freaking exhausted. Like I'm so tired of this game that I love and this league that I love being polluted with all of these cases of misconduct. It's exhausting and it's and it's frustrating and it takes so much joy away from what's happening. I get so tired of trying to figure out who I'm still allowed to root for because their front office is still full of like decent human beings or at least they haven't been ousted yet. Like it's just, it's, it is so dang exhausting and I just wish that, I just wish that there would be policies and procedures and I've been saying this for, since we started talking about this you know, a year, a, a year ago, or whatever it was. I, I there need to just be like I'm not calling for the heads of everybody who's ever made a mistake in their life. I, I get it. I understand. I understand that people make bad choices sometimes. I understand that people can be different people than they were in their past. I get it. I get it. But also, why are why don't we have policies for these things? Like, why is this not? Why does this have to be a debate? Why isn't it just? Oh, yep, he actually did this. Here are the consequences that we give to everybody who does this, whether it's the guy stocking the vending machines, whether it's the coach, the players, the assistant coach, the the manager, whoever. Like, why are we not being considered? I mean, you just explained why we're not. You just explained it. But it is so frustrating.
1: Yeah. and Well, and the problem is there's more to it because you're much likely to find more restrictions or guidelines on the process in in other words how deeply you can dig and in what ways you can dig and the reason i mean there's a twofold reason for that one is and this is another reason to subscribe to true Hoop. sorry stop i don't mean to keep bringing henry up but literally they are on the forefront of this that if you read like some of the, the money laundering and the, the machinations of team ownership and where league money goes and all this stuff, you will find that if you dig very deep, you're going to find some really uncomfortable stuff. And by the way, the Allen family has been involved in some of that, at least on the periphery right? So it doesn't, it it comes close to home if you're a Trailblazers fan. And I'm not trying to imply anything. I'm not saying anything bad about Paul or Jody or anything. I'm just saying if you read those articles, you're going to find that name in there. And it's possible that if you dig more in any NBA ownership, you know, uh, situation, in a lot of them, you're going to find some shady stuff. And that is because, and here's the second point, Power has a certain gravity and it's really difficult to have riches and power, which by the way, in a, in an era of billionaire ownership, by definition, NBA owners will have, right? It's really hard to have that without being completely disentangled from economic powers and systems and procedures that absolutely get very dark very quickly. Okay. So, Part of the reason I think that there, I mean, there are rules, but they only go so far and their application is inconsistent and the investigation is limited because if you were to open up underneath that floorboard, you're going to see way more stuff probably than you want to. And so there's investment in not opening that up too much. And, and by the way, this could also work in some ways to the positive though, I think, because if everybody knows that there's roaches under the floorboard, anybody who's acting in such a way to pop their heads up and, and cause people to look under there, the league also has reason to hush them up quickly, right? Look, we don't want people even looking in this direction. So don't be an idiot. That can actually work toward kind of, you know, dampening some of this down. But the problem that I see is it's it's just that. It's covering up. It's dampening it down. It's not really solving it.
0: It's just so tiring. Like, I, I'm, I mean, I'm somebody who grew up, you know, if if a company's, ad- if we didn't agree with a company's advertising, we wouldn't buy from the company anymore. And, and I, and, and at the root of that, I appreciate that. I, I love that my parents were that way. Um, but I also can acknowledge the fact that like, you're gonna be naked and hungry <laughs> because at, 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 to some degree there's corruption on some level of literally everything. Like they're just, there. there's so much corruption and there's so much bad stuff that happens. And and so I, I do think it's important to stand by your values and, and make those decisions. And I, I think as as individuals, we have to decide what's worth that to us and what's important to us. I think for me, it's when it's out there so blatantly in front of us. Like, yes, if you dig and you dig and you dig, you're going to find things everywhere. And, and I get that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't dig. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. You have to figure out what works for you. But it just feels like the league has been so tainted lately with all of these scandals and all of these things. Like It just gets so tiring. It just gets so tiring having to, to, to consume that as, as a fan.
1: Well, and here's the operative question I think that we all can ask. What do we do with our power? Because all of us has some, but especially if you're if you're fortunate enough to get promoted into management or you own things or you you run a company or whatever, what is that power for? And where are the appropriate boundaries around that power? And do you lead by upholding and respecting those boundaries? Or do you presume that your power exists to allow you to violate them? And I think that that's a critical question. Uh, Why were you given power? Is it it for you or is it for the sake of, of building something good around you? And I think that the old culture very much said power is your reward for all the work you've done and for being a super special person and super special people with power don't really have to obey the rules. They can do whatever they want because they're above all that. I hope we're coming to a new era Where we say, you know, well, power doesn't bring us above the basic rules of human decency. And that to the extent I have power, it's not just for the sake of me. It's for the sake of the people around me and allowing us to do something together that is meaningful.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah. It's, it's a frustrating situation. I'm hopeful that it doesn't stop here. I'm hopeful that there's enough backlash and people speak up. And, you know, I, I think it's going to take people other than just fans. I think it's going to take players. I think it's going to take front office. I think it's going to take coach. I think it's going to take people of more power than just fans to speak up and push for more consequence here. And I don't know that that'll happen. Um, but at least if nothing else, at least this behavior has been brought to light. At least people are aware of it. Um, that's a terrible place to have to fall on this. It's a terrible place to have to fall on and say, yeah, the owner of of these teams is a absolute, not nice word. Um, but at least we know, at least we're aware of how he acts. God, I don't know. I don't even know how you deal with that because the, can the organization even take steps because he's literally the owner? Like, how do you, it's just such a, it's such a mess.
1: Well, and and one question to leave on that, and I'm not sure if they answer to this question, but the NBA may be considering in all this, how many potential buyers are there? I mean, if you suspend a player, unless it's LeBron James, you know, uh, if you suspend a player, you, you know you're going to have 100 players ready to take their spot. Uh, same with coaches. How how many owners, how many billionaires are out there who can really own and run a team? And I, I'm sure that they are out there, but I think that the rarity of that is probably rarer than any other position in the entire league. So, th- I mean, that that factors into the equation for them. I'm sure that if they if they have to dig and they have to replace 20 owners, how do you do that? That's a that's a major crisis for the league. So, yeah, I mean, it's just icky when I get that. Well, I'm not I'm not justifying. I'm saying it's gross. It's it's terrible.
0: But it it is being justified. I mean, I know you're not justifying it, but that's the reason we're here because of inconvenience, because of something being difficult for the lead. Like, I, I, that's why we're here. That's why the guy is getting off with one year. And he's not stupid. He probably knew that he that, – that, that if we can sit here and come up with these responses, he had to know this too. Like, y- you know in that position how far you can push the boundaries. And it's just – I don't know. It's it's frustrating. It's inf- the whole situation is infuriating.
1: Here's the hopeful thing too, though. At least it's not as normalized. I mean, I can see like ten years ago, twenty years ago. Oh, what's the you know? Okay, well, everybody does that. That's just you know, it's madmen or whatever. You know, okay. Well, no, I, I think at least that is better that, that this is not normal, that this is not acceptable. Um, at least that's being publicly stated. Maybe there's something to that, even if the consequences and results aren't everything we'd hoped. Yeah,
0: yeah, I just I'm, I'm so tired of this. I'm just so tired of it. So let's move yeah. on. let's move on to some blazers. some more blazer stuff. You know, again, we're deep into the summer. there's not a ton of stuff. There's a few a few little things here and there. Um, Damian Lillard and Jermaine O'Neill are going to be featured in um, a project that's happening with Player Player TV. Is that what it's called? Yep. Players TV.
1: It's a player kind of motivated slash run, uh, kind, right. You know, uh, TV station. Yeah, kind it's, of a, it's a channel
0: that's controlled by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I mean, this is again. This goes to to what we were talking about earlier about players controlling their own narratives. You know, I. I mean, I I've talked on the podcast before about working with swish cultures um who is also a a player owned um media company and and it's a very interesting thing to watch that and, and and the power that that has uh personally i love it i love being on board with with something like that that's very much up my alley um and and i think that these things are becoming more and more popular and and you know you see that with uninterrupted with lebron james's company you see that with with this the players tv um, there's, there's all these outlets now that, are, that players are using to tell their stories, and I think it's really cool to see that happening. Um, but this is, so this is the, the write-up, it says Long Game, which is the name of it. Long Game is a new series of eight episodes providing viewers a unique look into the personal experiences, business ventures, and philanthropic efforts of some of the most decorated athletes in professional sports. It premieres Tuesday, September thirteenth, which was yesterday. It will feature legends including Damian Lillard, Ken Griffey Jr., Nekka Ogumake, Andre Ward, Tamika Catchings, Isaiah Thomas, Jackie Joyner Jackie Joyner Kersey, and Jermaine O'Neal. Long game is hosted by I am not gonna say this name correctly, but he's a former NFL Pro Bowl defensive end and head of sports and entertainment at UBS. Wally, is that how you say it? W A L E Wally?
1: I am not sure.
0: Ogunley, Ogunley. I'm I'm butchering that name. Anyway, I apologize. Um, but that's a host. And so they both, Damian Lillard, obviously we know who that is, um, and Jermaine O'Neal, who played for the Blazers from uh, ninety six to two thousand, um, and then went on obviously to play with the Pacers. Um, but they will both be featured in in this upcoming show. So pretty cool. And Neeka Ogunmike, who I've worked with. She's a Fantastic, fantastic uh, WNBA player too. So some interesting names there if that's something you're interested in. I will be watching those. I love this kind of stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think the most exciting part. Now, I mean, a lot of it's going to be Boilerplate, I assume. But... I think it's neat that players get to share their passions and especially philanthropic. I mean, the investment part, that's a little self-serving. The stories we've probably heard a little bit about before, but the philanthropy is the exciting part for me because you get to hear a little bit what players are invested in, in terms of charity and in terms of their personal passions. And that's, that's never bad. In fact, I wish that more of us could could do that. It's it. We always we always associate philanthropy and charity with either people who are, have a lot of money, which these players do, or with the organization. Like, okay, I give to this cause, and we only talk about this systemic uh, organization. And instead of talking about the important thing being I give, I give to something, and that idea that we all share, uh, I think is really exciting. And could be, I think, I don't know, instructive, inspiring, uh, a model for if if to have NB players get get up and say, "This is what I give to," and giving is part of my my life process and part of what I feel I'm here to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, another note. Uh, there was an article that came out recently, or actually, I think it was uh, on a I think it was on a um, the notable backcourts. Was that on
1: a, um, yeah, no, it was a tweet. And yeah, I think it might've been on a show. I, I, I only scanned it. Uh, but that was, uh, uh, the omission was, was rather obvious.
0: Yeah. So there was a, uh, something that came out about the notable backcourts in the league and, uh, Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons were not, Mentioned, and there was like eight, and one of them was um, LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. I mean, so,
1: LeBron's a little bit of a stretch for backcourt, eh?
0: Oh no, 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 no! Sorry, it was not LeBron. It was, um, was it? Who was it? It wasn't LeBron. Whoever's was, playing uh, beside
1: for, <laughs> playing beside Russell Westbrook. Yeah.
0: Anyway, it, it, when you're it, mentioning the Lakers backcourt uh, over Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons. It's an interesting take. Uh, you know, I think that there's a lot going on here. And another, you know, another one of the things that I have on the list to talk about today is is NBA 2K23. I don't know if that's how you say it because I don't do the video games. But the, you know, the there and and Damian Lillard getting a rating of 89, which is kind of a slap in the face to somebody who is eventually going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but you've got these two these two situations where the Blazers are once again just not really being. They're just kind of being counted out and pushed to the other side. And I think some of that probably has to do with the fact that Dame sat out last year. I think that recency bias is real, and I think that people very quickly forget how good Dame can be um, because he he's, hasn't been part of the conversation for the last year. So, you know, all these players that have been part of the conversation are, are at the forefront of people's brains going into this. And so I think that that's probably a, par- a part of it is just the fact that people aren't thinking about it so much. But, man... You leave Damian Lillard
1: off of that, and, and Yeah, well, okay. So there's an argument to be made that Luka Doncic and anybody makes one of the most interesting backcourts in the NBA, and that's fair. There's no way you'd leave him off. I think Dame is pretty much interesting. in that category. If you're, if you're naming the top 10, which is I think they did, and Lillard's not on there, he deserves to be on there. He's not in the lower two-thirds of the league. That said, I mean, 2K23 – uh, I understand them going from last year's production. That's kind of what they have to do. Uh, so they they look and and by the way, as far as I know, those ratings are adjustable. They change as the year goes along a little bit. So you know, as Dame excels, I think his rating will probably go up. But they basically look back, and I don't think I think for their own sake, they probably make as few value judgments as possible and simply go off of stats, production, and maybe a little bit of frosting, but they're not going to lift or lower anyone too much in the initial rating uh, because I think it's a lot more pain in in the rear end to say, you know what, we really super overvalued this guy or undervalued this guy, as opposed to saying, well, you know, this is what his production was and this is, you know, this is how we do it.
0: Yeah, (sighs) I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't understand how all the video game stuff works and how all those ratings are. It just seems like...
1: Okay, so it's pretty easy. They well, uh, I mean, I, I, they give them grades based on, okay, so there's offense. There's inside scoring. There's uh, mid-range shooting. I, I there's that. all that. The driving ability, get, delivery, dribbling, playmaking, and, you know, defense. And basically, they do most of that except defensively, but at least offensively. They do most of that on stats. I mean, you know, they look at his percentage and say, okay, he's an A-plus right, three-point shooter.
0: But you can't do that when a guy's been out the whole year. And, and especially when you look at, what, a year ago? Was it last year's or two years ago that Damian Lillard was literally the cover of the game?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, my son is angry uh, because they nerfed Damian Lillard literally the year he was on the cover. Uh, he says, "Yeah, Dame Dame like comparatively is not as good in the game, at least according to my son, uh, that, as other comparable superstars." But they would argue, I think, that literally they can't do anything but go on last year's stats because it's NBA Two K Twenty Three, not NBA Two K Career or Twenty Twenties. So yeah, they I get will.
0: Yeah, but there are circumstances. Like,
1: yeah, I, I, they, did, they don't I, count those, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you that he should be better. And by the way, uh, we always draft Dame first, anyway. Uh, and he's uh, the fun part, and I wrote about this a little bit. The fun part Dia, of this is you get to play the all time team. So you get to have Dame and Clyde Drexler and Bill Walton and Maurice Lucas and LaMarcus Aldridge starting, right? And you get to bring Arvita Sabonis and Kiki Vandeweghe off the bench and Terry Porter and Jerome Kersey. And you're going like, okay, no, this is what I want to do forever. I don't ever want to see another team other than this. And like, oh, it's Dame to Clyde. No, why isn't the universe like this? That uh, No matter what Dame's rating is, that's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah for sure. Well, and it's just it's just a video game. And I do keep telling myself every just time
1: just Ha, it's 2K a video
0: Remember Dave, I yeah. <laughs> um, I I keep telling myself that every single one of these like low blows is just fuel for this man. Like the comeback tour of 2023 is going to be fun. Uh, when Damian Lillard gets out there, you know, I mean, we know uh, as as fans of the Portland Trailblazers who have watched Dame his whole career, uh, y- you know what negative talk does for that man. So I, even though it's like frustrating to watch these things, and I know this one's just a video game, but like the the backcourt, like the, leaving him off of that, things like that. Every time something like this happens, I just think, all right, well, there's one more, there's one more thing that's going to fuel his fire. So you know it, i think it's going to be I think it's going to be a good season for dame if it if the if history has anything to say about you know when when he gets when he gets knocked for something uh he, he's going to have a good season
1: <laughs> well i mean it'll be interesting and this is one of the main questions that we're going to address we're going to start a series on you know questions facing the blazers and dame is number 1 i mean without without dame coming back strong uh and like he was This team doesn't have nearly as good of a shot, and I think they have no chance of of actual relevance unless he's really, really good. And the big question, of course, is where's where's the the clock? He's a high-mileage player. Um, He's 32, which is, as one of our staff members brought up in chat, uh, this is traditionally the age when production begins to decline. Now, I don't think he needs to be 26- or 28-year-old Dame, but he probably needs to be 30-year-old Dame uh in order for you know things to 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 work well it's a big ask and again one of the things we've talked about i talked about this in the mailbag look at how this team is set up dame and mary maybe gary payton the second is uh they are uh the different ones they are the ones who do not belong in with the rest of the roster if you just looked at it blind they are much older uh they are at actually semi-packed positions, okay? So this team, if you were looking at it blind, you would go, oh, these two are the ones that are not in the future plans. Now, if you put names to it, you'd go, well, everybody else but Dame might not be in the future plans because they're different than he is. But it'll be interesting to see which way that goes. It feels like the Blazers are on the peak of a roof right now, and they're either going to roll one way or roll the other off it, and we'll see which way they end up going.
0: Yeah, that's a conversation for another day for me. I just, I... I do I am I'm, I'm reserving any judgment until I see Dame take that court and, and get through a few games. Um that's where I stand. I'm just I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it till I see him get out there because I think he's gonna come back and I think he's gonna be better than we remember him being.
1: Right. I mean, and that may be true. Uh what I'm saying is that needs to be true. Otherwise, this is gonna be an interesting interesting thought project to figure out what to do if dame exists and still plays well but is not that transcendent player that oh what do you do exactly so uh i hope we don't have to i hope we're all like oh no this is super dame and uh now we get to see the full flower of this team and on
0: that note uh the last thing for today um there is a conversation going around right now currently about the hall of fame the players currently in the nba who will make it to the hall of fame and amongst that list are LaMarcus aldridge um carmel anthony and damian lillard uh all obviously trailblazers there are more but those are the ones that are um directly you know, associated with the Trailblazers. So uh, I have no argument about those three. I think all three of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame by the time their careers are done. Um, you know, obviously LaMarcus and, and Mello both kind of on the end of their careers um, and, and have done enough, in my opinion, to, to put them there. I think Dame is is well on his way to being there as well so uh, i'm personally not surprised about these i know that chatter on the internet once again is going to fuel Dame's fire but uh i i think it's hard to argue that damian lillard by the end of his career should not be a hall of fame basketball player
1: oh i mean i don't think there's any doubt about it i mean oh there
0: is doubt
1: oh (laughs) there's no, there's
0: outside of Portland, there's plenty of doubt. The man
1: scored almost 30 points a game, you know, in a season. He is an absolutely yeah. transcendent public figure, popular, the the shots, the everything. He has absolutely made a, an enormous impact uh, on on the league for a Trailblazer. I mean, he's made a bigger impact on this league than anyone except for Bill Walton, I think at the time. Even Drexler, uh, although Drexler may have been arguably a better player, certainly led his team farther, but he did not make the cultural impact that Damian Lillard has. Uh, So I think there's no doubt that Damian Lillard is a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt that Carmelo Anthony is a Hall of Famer. I think if there's doubt about any of those three, it's going to be LaMarcus Aldridge who had, uh, you know five or so 20-point-per-game seasons as a power forward, uh, but doesn't have the overwhelming stats. Uh, and you have to look at like his style of play to understand how good his offense was. Uh, it's actually pretty good. He's like a 50% shooter. And when you understand that he's taking perimeter shots, that's actually great. But standing out among other big men for that, I don't know. You know, it doesn't automatically leap out. His longevity has been really impressive. Uh, and I think, you know, he could probably make it in. But like if you say LaMarcus Aldridge, you don't say automatic Hall of Famer. But I think Damon Lillard is, and I think Carmelo Anthony, beyond a doubt, is.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think, I I mean, I, I would say Marcus Aldridge, I, I, I don't have any argument about him being there. I think that, you know, some of that also depends on, on the when they retire and when they, you know, when they, all that. But I, I, I think that this is yeah I don't think I don't think that this is should be a debate but you know everybody's gonna make everything a debate
1: so yeah well I mean it's fun to talk about but anyone who doesn't think Dame is a hall of famer I think doesn't understand how the hall of fame works I mean uh look LeBron James Kevin Durant obviously Giannis yes okay um and I think Carmelo fits in there because he's had a lot of notoriety but Beyond those people, who else has been more? I Chris Paul, I suppose, might be more popular uh, and just as well known. But you're starting to scrape the end of it. Now, I'm not talking about young players who are coming coming up. You know, uh, Luca Doncic obviously is right. going to you know do that kind of stuff and whatever. But if you look at people, well, and those, he was on that list as well. Yeah, but you look at those people who are like in their 30s now. There, there may be five players who are obviously above dame after that he comes he comes to mind pretty quickly and those two shots i mean the houston shot and the oklahoma city shot combined with the scoring average combined with the commercial notoriety combined with his personality uh and you know look you can put one of the measures is can i put damian lillard highlights on a reel and people are definitely going to stop and watch that And the answer is yes. Certainly Dame much more than Aldridge. And in some ways, just as much as Carmelo, although Carmelo has more highlights in aggregate. He's a volume, you know, huge scorer and stuff, which is why he is gonna make it. But Dame's reel would be shorter, but it would be absolutely just as intense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's I I don't think you can argue that Damon Willard should not be in the Hall of Fame. I think I think that's a I think that's cut and dry. So that that'll be fun. I mean it's it's always fun to have people that you that you've rooted for accomplish that. So yeah, All that's right. that's where we're at, Dave. I mean we've actually this was a solid we had a a lot to talk about this week
1: yep and we will it's getting closer and closer to training camp i think we got what two podcasts still training camp so that'll be uh that'll be fun all righty well we will see you all next week we hope that the week is full of good news for the blazers as we start to come out of hibernation and get ready for the season for dia miller i'm dave dunder we will talk to you soon
0: a hater season opening down the lane moves towards the hoop but then dia comes out of nowhere to slap the shot attempt away saying get that weak stuff out of here
1: Jade scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Jade sends her an alley. She it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its
0: feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award.
1: What a talent.